Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates, as well as the Making Star Wars Podcast Network. <laughs> guys, welcome to Steel Wars. I am comedian Steel Saunders and I do love Star Wars and each week we find someone of interest to talk about it with. And this week you guys, we have hit the jackpot on people to talk with. Years ago when I was sending away my proof of purchases to receive my bonus Return of the Jedi preview figure to Kenner, I had no idea that that moulded bit of three and three quarter inch plastic would be Skyping with me years later, mainly because Skype was decades away from being invented and I had no idea about it. But please welcome puppeteer extraordinaire and a man that has been featured in both Return of the Jedi, The Force Awakens, and the upcoming The Last Jedi. Welcome to the show, Mike Quinn. <laughs> That's an awesome introduction. Thank you. Kaching, I've never I've never been a jackpot before. Thank you, Steel. <laughs> <laughs> it is it is it is always an honor to talk to a preview <laughs> figure, you know? And the, the, <laughs> exactly. There's not many of them around, so I uh, <laughs> Actually, now that I think about it, I've talked to a few preview figures. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Luckily, there's still a bunch of us still around, but uh, we lose a few every now and then, which is awfully sad. So, yeah, you might as well hurry up and get me in now. I'm <laughs> <laughs> um, right. Very uh, timely, I saw on your Facebook page, you've got an awesome uh-huh. Facebook page that you're always updating, I <laughs> highly recommend that, that you <laughs> attended the uh, Star Wars Crew 40th anniversary party the other week. Uh, tell, oh, yeah. Tell us a bit about that. <clears throat> yeah, I think it was mainly hosted, uh, it was sort of, I guess, ILM based, you know, more for the visual effects uh, uh, people, but it was essentially everyone that was in the involved in the creation of the original trilogy. So everyone from Star Wars to Jedi. Um, so there were smaller numbers of people that were there just from Star Wars, and then of course more from Empire, and then even more for, for Jedi. So we they they took um, like uh, crew photos of of everyone that could attend anyway. Um, yeah, and the the Star Wars photo just you know had a I guess, I don't know if it was maybe 30 people or something, but by the time they did Empire and then Jedi, it was, uh, I guess, a good <clears throat> maybe 100 or so. I'm not really sure. But so it was, yeah, kind of all the people that, that um, were, were pioneers of, uh, 
uh, ILM, uh, essentially, and Lucasfilm and the effects uh, division and, and some people from Skywalker Sound. But uh, but those pioneers, really, these these guys that, that, that put this bash on for us all were really the, the, the gods of, of modern-day special effects, visual effects. Um, it, it was amazing. I think someone on, on my Facebook thread the other day counted up if everyone that attended had brought their Oscars, it would add up to about 25 Oscars that should have been there. <clears throat> so... Okay. It was a and yeah, it was an amazing thing. It really was was great to see everybody again after all these years. Well, that just makes the photo disappointing now that it could yeah. have been like this this Oscar blazing hip hop style <laughs> show my gold photo. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. It <laughs> no, it was lovely. Yeah, it was. Uh, I, I, you must obviously were in the Return of the Jedi photo, and and the posse was pretty deep. Now. At this yeah. party, what, what sort of conversations are going down? Are we talking about weekends in Palm Springs or Snoke theories? Like, is there a lot of Star Wars talk? Yeah, funnily enough, a lot of different things. Not not a whole lot of talk about the new stuff, funnily enough. Um, uh, and Ben Burt was there, and he's still involved in the new trilogy, so, so he'd still be relevant for that. Um, but a lot of them are retired, semi-retired, or, or not necessarily involved so much in the in the, the new stuff. So yeah, there was a lot of uh, uh, talking about the good old days. Really, you know, uh, it's kind of funny. I mean, like with Gary Kurtz, um, I first knew him on The Dark Crystal. He was producer on The Dark Crystal, and he directed some uh, second unit stuff. So uh, we sort of talked about about that, um, but. But uh, also about Star Wars too, because that's that's why we were both there the other week, um, and of course, uh, you know, dear old uh, Phil Tippett. Uh, every, I run into him every I don't know, like eight to ten years or something. It's kind of funny. Uh, so that was that was really nice as well. And um, you know, he was because I was like uh, seventeen when I when I did Jedi, so I was a young lad. You know, the first thing Phil says to me uh, at the at the event was. Oh, you used to be cute. <laughs> so that's Phil. And then, well, but then, in, in your defence, Mike, I, I, I think you're still cute, buddy. I, <laughs> well, I, it's thank you. It's all it's all uh, relative, isn't it? But but his wife, uh, Jules, uh, sharply turned to him and said, "So did you." <laughs> <laughs> but hey, Phil's still cute too. No, I mean, it was amazing just to to think all that talent, all that brain power. These were. The place was filled with smart, creative people. Well, you know, just the, just the energy around around that place, around those people, and of course, it took place in the in the original, uh, the old ILM uh, lot as well, which is now owned by Thirty Two Ten Effects Company. Yeah, but it was so much fun. It, it was a, it was a beautiful thing. It really was such a treat. And uh, while I was there at the same time, I went to Lucasfilm and did an interview for their uh star wars show as well i think that'll be uh, up shortly too so yeah really nice really good to kind of connect the dots with with that uh history with that that part of my past and and uh the present and then sort of moving forward as well you know it's, it's a very wonderful thing to be able to do you know well i'm, I'm very glad that your cuteness <coughs> got caught on camera for the star wars <laughs> Uh, well, yes, it should be good, I think. I we, think we had fun with that. that so. Andy's a very lucky lady, I think, to uh, be chatting to you. That is, uh, yeah. <laughs> I guess you've got all these amazing, talented individuals at, at this reunion. Is there still sort of a bit of a, a jaw-dropped 
staggeredness, if that is a word, at what this film has become to the world. I think so. I, I think uh, I think everyone is still there's there's a a love uh, for the for the, for what it has done for everybody. Definitely, um, you know, even the ones that that uh, were involved in the in the very first movie. Uh, you know, long before I came along, um, there's definitely a, a respect for the for the work itself, a, a, a love and a respect for each other that came through as well in the in the speeches and and uh, they were there, they were there just for each other. You know, they weren't there for publicity, press, interviews, uh, hype, or anything else. They were there because they wanted to spend time with each other and to honor each other. And to show their gratitude, and yeah, it's it's there's there's no cynicism there at all. Uh, you know, they're all kind of saying saying, "Wow, we did this," you know, and and it's it's still it's still going on. I mean, they they the, the work they did was just incredible. I mean, it's just amazing. And yeah, it's evolved a lot even since then. But but I still think think that was that was where everything changed uh, for us all essentially. Um, just, just amazing. So yeah, there was just a lot of love in the room. <laughs> That's awesome. And at the very least, it's a chance to pull out some old photos and celebrate some amazing haircuts. That's right. Some amazing, lovely long haircuts and the occasional mustache and flowered shirts and flared trousers and oh, all yeah. that good, good stuff. Oh, oh boy. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And talk about the old days. But I mean, yeah, there were some people I hadn't seen since since. Uh, we, we filmed that, you know, since Jedi, since 1982 is when we filmed it. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's a long time. <laughs> but you kind of just pick up like it was yesterday. It's so funny. Yeah, you, you picked my interest <coughs> with, with speeches. What sort of speeches were given? Oh, yeah. Um, let's see. A lot of the, the sort of heads of, of the effects departments gave a, a, a lot. Ken Ralston and, and Ben Burt and, and, uh, and the, you know, the, the original guys that were there. Uh yeah, they they told stories about the the birth of of ILM and and uh, for example how Fox turned them down and didn't want to spend any money on on uh, getting these effects up and running with with their I guess their original you know I guess when they were shoot, trying to shoot things like the go motion cameras or Death Star stuff or whatever it was the optical printers and I don't know what all the the amazing things they were really trying to get off the ground that were going to cost another million here and whatever and. And they were kind of fighting that at the beginning, fighting the studio. It was very funny. So, yeah, they were just sort of talking about the birthing of it all. It was, uh, it was, it was all recorded, though. I think, and I think online there are some videos, some some edits too, somewhere of some stuff. But, but uh, yeah, it was it was really really nice to to just be in the presence of such genius and, and hear about the the roots of of uh, this. Uh, part of this rebirthing of the of the visual effects industry that has affected all our lives and that was something uh, i discussed with gary kurtz too just sort of talking with him about how you know how i wouldn't be here now if it weren't for star wars and and he just turned around and said same here <laughs> <laughs> so we yeah we i think we're all in the same kind of boat it's like how how, how did this happen but uh, you know what a what a what a great, wonderful thing for us all, whether we're fans or whether we worked on it or both, you know. Yeah. And that's the thing. I think I think pretty well everyone that has, has worked in any capacity on these projects are fans anyway. 
I, I always enjoy the <coughs> irony about 20th Century Fox and their, you know, not giving more money and how in the end, how many or how much, how many billions of dollars that ended up making George Lucas because of the way he sacrificed the, the merchandise. Yeah. Like he got the merchandise and, uh, and, and yeah. his, uh, his upfront fee. That's, <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's a good business lesson. I think. Well, yeah, he, you know, he, he left Hollywood. He, he went outside of the system because he felt he had to. It was, it was, it was too oppressive for him. And I understand that. But also, uh, you know, sure, he made a lot of money and he deserved every penny and, and as he should. But also think of the, uh, the industries that he has spawned. I mean, the jobs that he has created through, uh, uh that, that, that early Star Wars work and all the other, films that came out of that, the copycat films, the TV shows, the other movies that use the same technologies, um, all the overlaps. I mean, that that was sort of the, the spawn of, of so much uh, of, of an industry, essentially, for for hundreds and probably thousands of, of creatives, uh, when you think about it, actually. And it's still going on now. That's the thing. It just, it just isn't stopping. And even without the new trilogy, it still would have been happening. But now it just had this this surge, this bump uh, with, with the new stuff uh, being made, which is so wonderful. It's so great. And I just love it to bits. And it, as I've said before, uh, Star Wars uh, just keeps on giving. Uh, I've done all these other projects and some to, to greater and, and lesser degrees, but, but there's something different about this project that, that just, uh, it's like a train. It just, it just doesn't stop. It has such momentum behind it um, and such drive. Uh, and it's 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 just been a real gift. Uh, uh, <laughs> there's there's no other words to to describe it. I mean, I, I I've said it's like a you know like a, a a genie that grants wishes only the wishes aren't limited to three. It just keeps <laughs> granting them. So that's how I feel about it. Yet sometimes the wishes come in in <clears throat> groups of three. Yeah, that's true. It's funny how that goes too. And yeah, no, it's great. It's it's really just been been such a joy and to know it's still going on it's not something in the past it's not something in history is is really exciting to me too that we're still in the middle of it now we're still making these films right now it's it's fantastic yeah i, I one of my first <coughs> sort of memories of being sad is walking out of return of the jedi as a, a very young boy yeah with the thought that that was the last star wars film and <laughs> i had that same feeling walking out of revenge of the sith and i am so yeah warm in the glow that i am never going to have that feeling again never. no i think i think so i mean i always felt that there would be that third trilogy that was originally discussed and I, I figured, okay, it's not going to be yet. It, it'll be sometime later. But I always thought it was going to be made. I just knew it wasn't going to be George. You know, I just, I just thought, okay, it'll happen. It'll happen at the right time. Uh, but it, he, he, it won't be him. It'll be someone else. Um, and when I heard the initial uh, uh, rumors and whispers of, of Disney buying Lucasfilm, uh, I thought, oh, this is great. This is the best thing ever. This is perfect. This is exactly what they need. Disney has the best distribution. Um, if they if they handle this in the right way, this could actually uh, uh, give the franchise what it needs. And, of course, at the time, a 
the majority of, of what I at least had seen and heard was was fear from the fans. You know, oh, no, they're going to screw it up. They're going to do this. They're going to do that. Worst thing ever. And, and leave it alone. And I thought, no, no, no. Let's wait and see. I think this is going to be okay. And, of course, I think, I, I mean, I was blown away by by the way Lucasfilm handled everything and the decisions that, that Kathleen Kennedy and J.J. Abrams had made and, and all the guys bringing in uh, uh, all the, the, the right people to, to make it work, you know, Lawrence Kasdan and, and of course, uh, uh, Neil Scanlon with uh, the Creature Shop uh, from, from London. <clears throat> um, yeah, you know, and, of course, our old legacy guys, Tim Rose and myself, to, to bring back our characters. Uh, you know, it was what a lovely thing. So, yeah. so uh, yeah, I think we're in such good hands. And JJ was awesome, awesome, awesome. He had an impossible task, and I think he pulled it off amazingly. I don't know how he did it, and I don't really know if anyone else could have. Uh, Ryan Johnson, everybody loved him. He was such fun on set. Uh, such a good, a good director. I can't wait to see what he's done with uh, the Last Jedi. He's awesome. I, I've got this vision in my head of you with one hand typing on Facebook I think it's going to be pretty good and with the other hand just preparing your CV to send off <laughs> CV yeah uh, I, I haven't updated that in probably I don't know 25 years or so but <laughs> I, I, I think it can just end with 1983 played near mum <laughs> drops mic that, that, that's right that, yeah that's true yeah pancake face or whatever other uh, things they like to call him, <clears throat> which I won't mention here. But uh... <laughs> insert your own. Now, um, yes. Before we get in into Return of the Jedi, let's. I'd like to find out about your origins in in puppeteering, and if you were playing Neom Numb at age seventeen, which also is, you're not even licensed to drive. I'm not sure what you're doing in piloting the Millennium Falcon. I was very intrigued <laughs> about the story of how you got into puppeteering and and with Jim Henson. Yeah, it's, it's funny how that works. I mean, uh, my, my sister was in show business. Uh, uh, she's two years older than me, so she was on did a lot of stage work and, and acting and, and musical stuff. And at one point, she had a ventriloquist figure, uh, which I used to play around with, because essentially the, it, it had all these... Um, you know, movements in the head. So it was kind of like a a, a, a little uh, animatronic head in a way. And you know, we're talking about uh, mid seventies here, I think, nineteen seventies, early early to mid seventies. So I'd play with this thing and try to make it come alive and and make the eyes turn and blink and eyebrows go up and down and do lip sync with it. But I was always interested in puppets as a kid anyway. So I had I had marionettes and made my own puppets and glove puppets usually that kind of thing. And I had a little show that I did when I was about maybe eight or nine or so, something like that, a booth uh, show um, that I would do in the parks. I'd write my own script and draw my own scenery and, and uh, yeah, and, and sort of have the, the puppets. Uh, they'd have this little fight at the end and, and they'd, they'd, uh, they'd sort of have a custard pie fight, which I thought was, was a good way to finish a show, <laughs> um, <laughs> which it probably was the quickest way to finish it. So maybe that was good. Um, yeah, so that, then, but that was all before Muppets, uh, and I had a magic show as well I would do, but I was, I was a bit shy for the, 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 um, banter that you have to do as a magician, you know, and, and, and the props, and I wanted to do card tricks, but my hands were too small as a kid, and the props were kind of large and heavy and that kind of thing, so I struggled a bit with that, but I did love magic, um, but of course, 
puppetry is is kind of an illusion it is magic in a way so so when muppets came along it kind of combined all that stuff and, and brought it together uh muppet show essentially uh which hit uh, big in the uk in 1976 so uh i kind of obsessed about that as a, a teenager and and uh um stalked the muppet guys whenever they were in london and around so they they <laughs> i'd bump into them once in a while it's all still at school, uh, yeah, and then then eventually I uh, found out they made Muppet Show about half an hour from where I lived, which was kind of crazy because everyone thought Muppet Show was made in the states. Yeah, but of well, course, as I, we know, I, I would have thought that because just around the corner from where I live is the like the Henson Company with the the Kermit on the roof. Yeah, that's all since then. Of course, that's that's in in more recent years uh, that 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 uh, the Henson Company bought that, but. Um, yeah, Jim tried to sell Muppet Show in the States and nobody would touch it. So he went to the UK and Lou Grade uh, picked it up and uh, reaped the benefits. It was, I think, the most expensive light entertainment show of, of its time. So it was a risk. It was a gamble. But Lou sort of understood that coming from a, a vaudeville musical background himself. Uh, uh, so I, th- I don't know. I guess he just recognised something. He, I think, he knew Jim a bit from some other specials before then too. So they'd already had a relationship, and I guess they uh, <clears throat> they they went ahead and did the first season. Uh, so, so uh, I managed to uh, visit the 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 the, the, sh- the taping uh, on a regular basis in their final year, um, and I'd spend the whole day there. So they would get to know me as well from from my visits. There was no, like, was there an audience to watch the Muppets or you were just, like, making your way in? Yeah, uh, there was no audience. Um, it was filmed, it was taped in there in sort of their big variety show studio. And so they had some rate seating that they would normally use for when they had, a you know, a, 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 a um, sort of a variety show, which were, were big back then. Um, so, so they'd fill, fill up their, their rake seating, their benches, the same, well, their, yeah, their rake seating with, with audiences. But um, for the Muppet Show, uh, they didn't use that. So, so visitors and, and friends of guest stars and that kind of thing would sort of sit up there. You know, there might be sometimes one or two or, or three. Or and when Diana Ross was performing, maybe 20, you know. Um, but uh, <clears throat> so, so, yeah, I'd sit up there. But then I'd go down to the Muppet Workshop and annoy them in there and and I'd bring puppets that I'd built as well. So Jim Hansen would put them on and, and encourage me with, with my puppet work. So I was 15 at that time. So, uh, yeah, so I was kind of working my way into their, into their psyche. <laughs> that, that is so cool. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. But I was, a big, I was a big obsessive fan, so. I, I think uh, you're among friends in <laughs> big obsessive fans on, <laughs> on, on the show. And then... Jim Henson eventually uh, got you on the crew. Yeah, I, yeah, I, uh, I asked for a job. Essentially, uh, they'd, they'd just finished the Muppet Show and were, were starting on location for the Great Muppet Caper, um, which was also at Elstree. Uh, the TV studio was one side of the high street, and the film studio was the other. So it was essentially the same. Uh, you know, it was literally hundred feet away. So, but they were on location. Uh, so I tracked them down, and, and uh, I was 16, and uh, I, by a, a long series of buses, I made my way to the, to the, the location in, in the countryside where they were, they were shooting that day, and I had prepared a, a give me a job, please, Jim, 
uh, envelope <laughs> which had a letter and pictures of puppets a newspaper article that I'd had and um, uh, at the end of the day I gave it to him and, and uh, it just happened to be his 44th birthday that day so I think he was he thought I was giving him a birthday card so he accepted graciously this this envelope and of course uh, inside was really a hey give me a job uh, and within two weeks I, I got a call from uh, David Laser, the exec producer and they uh, tried me out for a week and it just kind of kept going. So that's sort of how it, it started, really. Wow. Do you ever look back <coughs> at that and just think, I'm so glad I was a very eager teenager? Yeah, definitely. I mean, there, there was a lot that had to conspire timing-wise and, and physic physically. Uh, you know, if, I think if, if anything was just slightly out of sync, it wouldn't have, have hooked up. It wouldn't have worked. You know, had I been another part of the country or a year younger... Uh, or, or even, hey, even um, two months younger, I think, I would have missed that window. Uh, so it's interesting. It, yeah, I, know, I would have missed that, the Dark Crystal, Star Wars, and everything else. Those, that, those first two years were really the, the foundation for the rest of my career. You know, I learned so much on those three movies that it's kind of set me up for, for everything since then, really. Now, so it was a golden time, yeah. Yeah. So obviously, you know, you, you're a teenager, but you're still pretty young at heart. Like many teenagers, sort of, uh, are, are sort of out doing other stuff than, than than you know working on their puppets. When a film like Star Wars hit, that must have been just like crack to you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was how old was I then? Eleven or something when Star Wars came out, something like that. Um, but, of course, uh, when uh, Empire came out, then I was obsessing about Yoda. I, initially, I'd seen pictures in magazines and stuff. You know how they always put that stuff out a month or two ahead. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, I, I knew Yoda was a, was, was a, a Henson, a, a, crea a partial Henson creation, I should say. I knew he was a puppet and uh, that Muppets were involved in that. But I had no idea. I thought, how is this, how is this guy going to move? Because we really had no point of reference at that point in time. There, there was no animatronic puppet creature at that time uh, at all. Yoda was the first. So, <clears throat> so I was really curious to, to see that. So when Empire came out especially, I was even more obsessed about that than perhaps the first Star Wars movie, which, of course, I enjoyed, you know. Uh, but now I was a few years older, and I knew that I wanted to do puppets. I knew I wanted to do Muppets. So uh, I was still at school when when uh, when that movie came out. But but so yeah, when that Yoda scene first first came on, and the the auditorium just fell silent. Uh, everyone was was transfixed. It was a, a magical thing to experience. So I I just saw that movie over and over and over again. Um, yeah, I don't think that answered your question at all. Oh, no, you, you totally did. You totally did. <coughs> oh, good. <laughs> we always uh, want to know from guests who their favourite character is in the Star Wars universe. Yeah, too, uh, I, I, like, I like the classic Yoda stuff. I like the traditional Yoda a lot. Um, but it's really hard because I think as I, as I move through my life, I identify with different characters more. Um, there's, there's a lot I like, like now about Obi-Wan, I, I think maybe just because, uh, of his mentoring and, and, uh, his perspective that he had, uh, I like aspects of that. Um, but, uh, um, and yeah, Yoda is, is, is brilliant too, uh, for, for multiple reasons. Um, 
Uh, and I like my guy. I like Nine Num because he just brings me so much joy. I mean, I just love performing him, and and I can't wait to get back inside. You know, it's it's it, yeah, it's just so much fun. It's just too much fun, really, to be legal. So, <laughs> um, I think I think one of the most endearing things about Nine Num <laughs> is that he just appears so stoked to be there. Yeah. Like he, he just seems to be having a pretty good time being a co-pilot in the Star Wars universe. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, the thing is, he, he already looks great to begin with. I mean, you don't have to do anything, and he's, he's, his face is so awesome. He's, to me, he always reminded me a little bit of, of Dopey from Snow White, sort of a, the big open, big eyes, uh, you know, big wiggly ears, and, and just very, very likable to begin with. Um, but... But uh, in, his character was kind of a, a blank slate, really. Uh, you know, his dialogue wasn't written down, and, and um, all the all we knew that it was that he was going to speak something alien, and that was it. He wasn't going to speak English. But um, uh, so so I could kind of do whatever I wanted with him, and so that sort of that sort of eager, sort of uh, wide mouthed, wide eyed uh, sort of fun of, of doing that stuff I think that I was having as a 17 year old probably came through him uh, as, as the character a little bit too and the laughing and all that stuff that's just stuff that I threw in you know so um, so there's a lot of me I suppose that just as it should uh, came through him and now you know in The Force Awakens it's a different um, they've, they've aged him they've weathered him he's, he's a much older uh, pilot now and, and I I think he understands the the gravity of of what's at stake uh, in in um, in the Force Awakens. So he's a, he's a little more of a serious numb in that film anyway. But uh, inside that, yeah, I think he'll always carry that 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 youthful uh, enthusiasm with him. That uh, at some point it would be nice to echo uh, before we're done with all this. So very cool, Phil. Phil yeah, Tippett, Phil Tippett would probably accuse him of being less cute these days. He, I think he might do that. He might do that. Or he might like him more being this way. So, uh, <laughs> but, you know, Phil's part of my story too. You know, that's the thing. He was, he was part of, of uh, me getting nine numb. So, Well, let's talk about that. How did you get on the cast of Return of the Jedi? Uh, very easily, yeah. The, the Je- Jedi was the next movie in that studio after The Dark Crystal. And um, they knew they had a bunch of uh, assorted creatures coming up uh, in the movie. So uh, they just wanted to essentially, uh, I mean, there aren't, uh, even in 1981, there were hardly, there were no animatronic performers and creature puppeteers as such, other than what Jim Henson had trained up. So so uh, Robert Watts uh, interviewed a few of us. He interviewed me for maybe 10 minutes in his office Uh and that was kind of it. No audition. Uh, they they just basically commandeered who was who was uh, appropriate, available, and and ready for whatever they needed. So that was kind of how it happened. Jedi happened because Dark Crystal happened because I was there, and I guess they liked me. And so uh, so I came on initially, assisting Tim Rose with. Uh, um, we were doing slice noodles together and then we were rehearsing Admiral Akbar for scenes for later on. So I was assisting Tim uh, on cable controls and, and stuff for, for those characters. 
and uh, also performed Reese, the three-eyed uh, sort of camel-looking guy, um, in the alcoves in the close-ups. And Paul Springer did the wide shots in the in the suit, and that version didn't have any articulation in the face at all. But the hand puppet was for the close-ups, so his mouth could move and his eyes could blink and that kind of thing. So yeah, so it, that's that's sort of how it all it all began on on Jedi. Essentially, uh, no auditions. <laughs> <laughs> now. You're 17 on set. I, I, I'm supposing that some of your <coughs> friends are still in high school and and you spent the day at Jabba's Palace. I think some of them probably were. But, um, uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of them had... Uh, see, in England, in the UK, uh, finishing school at 16 was like in the States when you finish at 18. You know, you do graduate at that age. And then anything beyond that, you had an option of staying another two years for further education. Gotcha. Um so uh, legally, I was I was ready. I graduated. I was ready to work at sixteen. Um, the school was done with me. Uh, I'd say two or three years before then, thirteen <laughs> or fourteen. So uh, there was really no point in staying on at that at that point in time. Uh, I, the last two years of school, I actually was the first boy in the entire school to take uh, sewing needlework, um, so that I could make puppets. Uh, and everyone thought I was crazy, and the school actually fought fought me on that they, they, they were they didn't want to have a boy take sewing you know yeah uh, well, no no we can't do that well and then we, we sort of dug deeper why not why can't he and it came down to the, the teacher saying well i've never taught a boy before so of course needless to say that didn't fly uh, too well um so yeah so i i spent two years making I think I think I had to make a shirt which i quickly threw out and and never wore and it's like let's get on with the puppet making here you know so that was my uh yeah my schooling essentially (laughs) you're quite a pioneer and uh and who's laughing now (laughs) neam numbs laughing yeah yeah that's true well all my friends were very supportive which was good um uh you know a few a few thanks to social media i've managed to to be able to hear from again in in recent years which is really nice uh, so, uh, but yeah, you know, I really didn't have a, a wide circle of friends because I was, I was locked away practicing puppetry and building puppets and studying, studying, uh, uh, this technique essentially for a good year or, or so before I actually started working with them. That was my life. So now in reading the, uh, the making of return of the Jedi book, you were on the millennium Falcon and it was maybe not the most comfortable ride. Oh, that. Well, yes, that that was uh, later on. I think, when did we do that? March? Because we started shooting in January okay. uh, of 82. So the, uh, the Falcon was, was a good uh, 50%, 75% through the film. And they were getting a bit behind, I think, at that point. So so most of the other characters and scenes we'd already filmed, I think. Uh, but, yeah, so... so uh, I mean, it was great. They they uh, had to cut out the the base of the the seat in the Falcon so I could lay down and keep out of the way in there, and that, that sort of put down some furniture pads for me to lay on and and give me a little monitor so I could see what the camera was seeing and, and mic- microphone me up for my English uh, guide voice basically, uh, so they could record that. Lower the puppet onto me. Um, my left hand was inside. Sorry, my right hand was inside his live hand inside the glove for, for the controls and the steering yoke, and of course my left hand was inside his head like a like a large muppet. And then Simon Williamson and Tim Rose were back behind 
or just underneath, working his ear wiggles and eye blinks on cable controls, like bicycle brake cable controls. Um, but I had to lay flat, so it's kind of like it was lay, like laying in the in the hull of a boat where you can't see out. And the whole cockpit, of course, was on a gimbal um, uh, operated by stagehands to to create the rocking and tilting and and turning and all that kind of thing. So uh, after after a few scenes and a few shots, it was very easy to get to get motion sick under that thing. Uh, so I'd be kind of quite queasy at the end of each each uh, sort of setup you know come out for air and uh stagger around a bit and fall over and brace myself for the next thing so because <laughs> it, it to me it's real all I, I can't see out all i can see is what the monitor what the camera's seeing which is uh, lights flying around everywhere and and uh, you know and movement so <laughs> it's it, it's it's always a very abstract thing when you're performing but when you're locked away inside something like that as well covered with a puppet it's it's it can be tricky it can be tricky so just to help define the the neum num that was on the falcon there is no human that you'd expect in the actual suit per se right no not in the falcon it's all it's all animatronic uh, hand puppet my my hand was inside his mouth and i was able to wiggle his nose a little bit uh, as well so that's just essentially pure puppetry 100% in the Falcon, yeah. Okay, so your hand is is raised above your head, controlling yeah. his? Exactly, yeah, exactly that. So Phil Tippett would lower the puppet down onto my arm through the cockpit window, and uh, once I was in, that was it wow. for an hour or whatever, yeah. So did you develop, like, really defined, like, arm muscles, or is that, is that tiring? Yes, it's, it's, uh, it's like holding a chair above your head and trying to do a Broadway song and dance routine with it, essentially. That's what puppetry is like. So, no, it's not easy. It's not comfortable. Um, you might tend to slightly develop a bias on that side of your body generally over the years. You know, that, that shoulder will be slightly higher and, and that kind of thing. But it's, it's not as much strength as it is uh, technique. See, that's the thing. Uh, like walking, really, you know, you everyone knows how to walk. It's not re- you don't have to be strong to walk. You could be a weakling and still walk. Mm-hmm. But you're using uh, your muscles know how to how to do it in the most efficient way. You're using a technique, aren't you? Yeah. Essentially, your brain and your muscles have learned how to how to walk without without uh, being exhausted after five steps. So it's puppetry is a bit like that. I think I think your your brain gets wired in a certain way. Uh, to, to know what to do. Uh, ironically to this conversation, when I was Googling <coughs> you uh, in preparation for this podcast, the other... Preparation? That's crazy talk. The other Mike <laughs> Quinn that comes up on Google is a bodybuilder. And there's, so there's a, a mix of photos of you looking very happy and then you or your namesake looking jacked as. So <laughs> <laughs> Now, I, I know, I'm sure... Some of the time, it was hard to tell which one was him and which was me. Uh, <laughs> yes, it's funny that good old... You haven't met him yet, but he seems like he's a good guy. So hopefully one day, that'll be nice. Hey, you guys. If you want to hear the full archive of Steel Wars interviews, regular listener Q&As that you can participate in, the Making Steel Wars show with myself and MakingStarWars.net's Jason Ward, and extended call-in shows... 
and hilarious Star Wars movie commentaries that you can play along with the films at home while supporting the Steel Wars podcast. Join the Steel Wars Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Steel Wars for just $3 a month which is about 69 cents a week. You can get multiple bonus shows a week, enjoy the full archives, and listen with the warm knowledge that you're helping to contribute to the continued production of this sweet, sweet content. And ironically, you don't get mid-episode interruptions just like this one. I'd really appreciate you checking out Patreon.com, Steel Wars. Link is in those show notes. Now, explain your role in relation to the late Richard Bonehill. I I, I presume he played him standing up? Yeah, he was actually the original... um, uh, He was an extra, so he performed uh, several, I think, Stormtrooper, Snowtrooper, and and, and, uh, a few other sort of the, 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 you know, background characters. So when Nine Numb... uh, came onto the scene he was essentially uh, a, a, just a background alien uh, you know he was a suit he had no movement in the face whatsoever so he was just a static mask like a lot of them were um so he was a, he was like nine was a, like i describe him as a chorus girl essentially <laughs> you know waiting for his moment to be plucked <laughs> forward so so uh, you know richard richard used to say you know you're the you're the brain and i'm the legs kind of thing so, uh, uh, but then later on, they, they, as they got further into the scene, they knew they needed a co-pilot, uh, uh, as Chewie, Chewie wasn't around for that, wasn't available, of course. So, so then I think George looked at what aliens he had. He didn't want a human, he wanted an alien. And I guess he just liked the look of Nine Numb the most. So uh, the other scenes had already been filmed uh, with the, the, the background uh, walking or full-legged and nine-numb, shall we say. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they had two masks. So so uh, I was up falling around in the creature shop with Phil Tippett one day, uh, as one does. And then Richard, uh, then um, uh, Phil Tippett actually said, hey, you know, this, this, uh, this guy, George has just given this guy some scenes in the Falcon and and uh, he's got dialogue, and he has no movement, and I don't know what we're going to do. Perhaps we'll cover his mouth uh, with a, uh, some oxygen thing and put bladders in his cheeks. I don't know. And uh, I took a look at it and thought, ah, oh, you, could, you could turn this into a hand puppet. And I put my hand inside one of the masks and showed him me moving the lips and the mouth. And he said, oh, that's a good idea. So, so he suggested that I sort of rig it up to, to work as a puppet and show it to George. Um, so that's what we did. Uh, I think within a week or so, we we did a little film test with George Lucas, uh, with uh, Richard in the in the other mask, and then with me uh, with a, a the, the puppet head and, and and shoulders. I think I'd made a, some a fake shoulders for it or something. Um, and the, uh, we did a little thing side by side where George would just sort of on film directors looking around and reacting to staff and speaking and whatever. So he could compare and see how they looked, and uh, and I also suggested, hey, you know, you can have these. You could put eye blinks in here, and I put my hand up behind his ears and wiggled his ears a bit, and said you could do all that stuff. And he said, great, great. And then he, of course, he had to ask uh, Stuart Ziff, uh, uh, can you do that, and how long will it take? And I guess he agreed it could be done in about two weeks. So George says, great, let's do it. So off, off they, off. Uh, Stuart Ziff went back to California with. Uh, the nine numb head to be mechanized and it came back about two weeks later ready to to 
to film and somehow I'd got the job. <laughs> that is awesome. What is it like <laughs> to have George Lucas agree and like your idea? Well, I, I hadn't had any, I mean, he'd, he'd never disagreed or disliked any of my ideas. So I didn't have anything <laughs> to compare it to, I guess. Uh, <laughs> why wouldn't he? I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, I would have been shocked if he hadn't really. Um, it's, it's, it's validation though, isn't it? I mean, yeah. it's, it's collaboration too. That's the thing uh, with, with, with George and with, with Phil. Everyone was working together to create a, a, a satisfactory solution. And, you know, and that's why Star Wars has, has endured because that's what everybody has tried to do on these, these movies. Make it, make it work. Make it better. Now, I am a little bit blown away, and, and to your credit, I always thought it was a, a guy in a suit, and then you were controlling the mask via yeah. control. So, I, like, like to your credit, that effect of Nine Numb in the Falcon is amazing. Yeah, apparently so, and it, it I, I was surprised when I first heard that years ago when people said to me i thought it was a little guy in a in a costume and and they were they're all like shocked when they find it. it's a puppet sometimes i worry that they're going to be disappointed when they find out oh it's just a puppet you know so i worry about that but um but i, I guess if people thought it was a real a real uh, uh human inside there then I, I i do take that as a compliment because he at least looks real enough to for them to think it, it's a human, um, and part of that is is the fact that he was um, kind of heavy. You know, I mean, with the mechanisms in there, he was big, as you know, he's bigger than a human head. Uh, so he was he was rather heavy, and that kind of kept him grounded a bit as well. You know, which was good. But if you know, if you're used to looking at puppetry and the Muppet thing. You know, when you look at it with those eyes, you can see, oh yeah, he's a puppet, and he's doing the he's doing the Muppet nod, and he's doing the way he's his head turns is like a Muppet. You can sort of see that if you know. So <laughs> it, it's it's quite good. That there are certain principles that you sort of use when you're when you're doing. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost fifty pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This kind of puppetry where you want things to be kind of clean and... and uh, 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 very visual um, and not muddy um, when you're doing masks, animatronics, puppets, that kind of thing. So uh, I've basically tried to carry through all those same principles uh, with the, the new Nine Numb. Um, only now I have to be more, I'm trying to be a lot more subtle with him and a lot more real because uh, I don't know now uh, how close I am in some of the cameras. Sometimes we're, we're using five cameras at once and one could be on this huge close-up of me or I could be at the edge of frame in foreground. And if I do moves that are too broad, it's just going to kill it. It'll look fake, you know. So I want him to, to be really believable and real and, and not, not cartoony, you know. Now, the other uh, sort of 
very exciting thing that you're involved <coughs> with on Return of the Jedi was uh, Yoda. I, I believe, yeah. I believe you were in control of one of the hands. Yeah, the right hand. Yeah, just like I used to do with uh, for Fozzie Bear with with Frank Oz and and sometimes with Miss Piggy. So so I'd already performed that role with Frank and in Muppet characters for for him. So he knew what I was able to do and and chose me to do it for Yoda as well. Plus I'm small, you know, and I'm. I don't, Yoda's heart is a very small area. Yeah, so I, being being small, you can tuck in out of the way a lot easier too. Yeah, I, I don't want to flatter you too much, but his right hand has always been my favourite, Mark. Oh, thank you. More than the left? <laughs> way more than the left. Way well, the more. left is always like he's always got the cane. I mean, what can you do with when you're holding a cane, right? So <laughs> now I one of the most. Like, touching um, and, and sad scenes in, in all the Star Wars films is the passing of Yoda. Now, what was the vibe like on the set for that? Is that just another day at the office, or is there a little bit more weight to a, to a death scene like that? Um, I, w- I would say the, the entire scene really we treated the same way page to page to page um uh i mean he didn't have as much to do in in jedi as he did in empire but but we you know we rehearsed uh uh quite solidly for for several days uh with with frank working out um every single beat uh of when he turns and how he turns and and his when he takes his breath and how he sits down on the bed and, and his attitude, uh, his, his dynamics, that kind of thing. Everything was very, very carefully rehearsed and thought out. Uh, so it, we took it all very seriously, um, you know, whether he was going to die or not. Uh, it sort of didn't make any difference. It, it was all about making him as focused and real and believable as, as possible and getting that consistent performance from angle to angle, uh, you know, as they set up the different reverses and shots and take out walls of the heart and stuff everything has to has to match the cadence and the and the performance and timings and and you know every head turn was was worked out so that they could edit anywhere they want and it would match basically uh if they need to so so we we just took the whole thing very seriously uh anyway um and you know frank approaches his characters not as you know animations cartoons or puppets but as 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 actors essentially he, he approaches yoda as 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 a as a serious actor would approach uh, their character so so everything was 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 very professional and very serious that's not to say we didn't have a few laughs here and there uh, on set as well um which we did did of course but uh, yeah so so but we also had this you know extra secret that that uh, we couldn't tell that we knew we knew what was going to happen with yoda which was kind of cool. Yeah, and the, the the bit where he gets tucked into bed is just <coughs> yeah. adorable. Just yeah. adorable. It's like <laughs> witnessing the, uh, like the, the, the puppetry and, and the character of Yoda is, you know, amazing. And, and obviously it was quite groundbreaking. But I always think that Mark Hamill's a bit undersold in... Like, we believed in Yoda because it, it seemed like Mark Hamill believed in Yoda. Uh-huh. What was it like watching him on set? Oh, very good, yeah. I mean, the thing is, um, let's see, Mark during Jedi, he was he was in a good place. Um, he was a lot of fun to work with, actually, and he was really enjoying it all. And, and he, he used to sort of, sort of uh, 
laugh because he'd say, oh, I, I, back when we started this, I used to be the youngest person on set. And then he'd look at me and say, and now you are. And he kind of <laughs> was feeling like he was getting old or something. But uh, now he's Mark's always, always uh, uh, great fun, actually. You know, he's he's he knows when to when to when to lighten up and when not, you know. Uh, so, yeah, I like Mark a lot. We we did have a good laugh on on one uh, part of the of the Yoda shoot where uh, um, when when you do the singles of each character, usually um, the actor will stand next to the lens and read their off lines for eye lines and and, and the acting and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though they're not on, you know, they're not being seen, they'll just stand literally next to the, the lens. Uh, for so so we did that for um, you know Frank would hold Yoda up next to the lens for for, for Mark Hamill's eye lines and for the acting and all that kind of thing. Uh, and then when it came time to swing the camera around to do Yoda's close-ups, then then Mark Mark asked Yoda, "Would you like me to stand next to to the lens for your eyeline?" <laughs> and of course, Frank and all of us just burst out laughing. And he said, "Sorry, Mark, Yoda can't see. He's a puppet. These aren't really eyes, you know." And everyone laughed, and poor poor Mark sort of turned red and got all embarrassed because he realised what he'd said. <laughs> It's great. Classic, classic moments. Uh, I'm definitely going to have to edit out the last line of what you just said. That is, that's just too real for me. Too real. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, also, I believe you're behind one of my most adored characters in Star Wars, and that's one of the baby Ewoks. Baby Ewoks, yeah, yeah, little tiny things. Uh, Had to sort of burrow out a little little uh, hole there and, and fix in something into the mouth so I could kind of make the mouth pucker a little bit. Uh, you know, it was all kind of quick and last minute. Um, but, uh, yeah, sweet little things. Just adorable. Just adorable. And I, I, yeah. I, I actually have a little Persian cat, and he very much looks like a, a baby Ewok. So. Oh, yeah. So I think I'm the, I'm the world's biggest Ewok, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that could be true. That wow. Let's call the Guinness Book in on that one. Yeah, let's. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah it's good. It's good stuff. Now, in between your appearances in the trilogies, I was surprised to learn that you actually became an animator for ILM and you worked on Attack of the Clones. So you jumped ship from the practical uh, puppetry to the CGI creature work. Yeah, yeah, I didn't see it as jumping ship as much as uh, uh, evolving from from analog to digital, um, because there was there was an overlap that was happening long before then anyway, uh, where where uh, we'd work on productions and and our our audio tracks were were going to dat tapes and that kind of thing in productions I was working on and um, and. Uh, I was using uh, some some early Mac stuff for, for morphing for puppets, so a puppet could wink and 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 uh, full length puppet work and that kind of thing against uh, uh, animated backgrounds. And I was looking at early CG stuff uh, from from pretty well from Toy Story, especially onwards, um, because essentially when you're animating a character, you're still bringing an inanimate object to life in an abstract way. So so animation character animation is is very similar to puppetry in many ways there's there are a lot of overlaps so uh, i saw it as as an evolution as as a, a, a another way to 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 tell stories and 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 bring characters to life so that's so yeah i, I kind of uh, i was at pixar first for about two and a half years 
um, on uh, a little bit on Bugs Life and mostly on Toy Story 2. And ironically, the, the bit I enjoyed the most uh, on Toy Story 2 was Woody's Roundup, which was the uh, 1950s puppet scenes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> ironically. Cool. Very cool. So, yeah, and all that had, was all keyframed. There was no simulation or, any, or motion capture or anything. Everything was keyframed in those uh, scenes. Old school. So, uh, but yeah, I went to after that. I went to. I actually wanted to go to ILM because I I knew they were going to do a CG Yoda for the first time, and I wanted to be a continuity to to help that. Uh, I knew I doubled up for Frank Oz's characters uh, before with Fozzie and his other as other characters. I knew exactly the the kinetics of of why Yoda moved the way he did because of the way Frank held his his arm and his shoulder and the way he held his hand inside the head. I knew exactly what was going on. So that forces him to move in a certain way, certain tensions on the muscles and that kind of thing. So I thought, okay, you know, so he just doesn't become this crazy thing. Uh, I, maybe I can influence this in some way. So, so, and they, they're done. They showed me the, um, they're done. I think there's a, a few moments of it on one of the DVDs. You can see a few seconds of, of, a. Uh, an early, the first CG test of Yoda, where I think they'd copied shot for shot uh, a scene from Empire, and he's kind of faceted and stuff. You know, he's not a finished model or anything like that, but but he moves very well uh, because they copied Frank's movements from the from the Empire Strikes Back, so he looked pretty good, and that's what sold George on. Okay, let's go CG with Yoda. Um, now, had they had they done the same thing for the rest of the movie? I think he would have uh, been a lot more successful uh, and looked truer to the original Yoda, uh, in my opinion. Um, but what happened was, is uh, I, I was in the, everyone that comes into or came into to ILM at that time uh, into their their CG department uh, would go through their little sort of I don't know two month training or whatever it was, uh, learning their software and and all that kind of thing. Well, I got like halfway through their their uh, classes and someone pulled out of uh, jurassic park 3 so they they brought me in on that to animate dinosaurs so i spent uh the first six months uh, uh working with joe johnston's uh, uh stuff on on jurassic park 3 doing dinosaurs so by the time i went back over to clones uh half the Yoda stuff had, was already underway and everything was established and they didn't really want to <laughs> want anyone coming in and and messing things up for them, so I didn't really get to to do what I wanted to do with that and have a say in it. Um, you know, I, some of the stuff I, I I found I felt he was a little swimmy. Uh, there's a tendency with animation sometimes to do that, um, whereas I would have liked to have seen him have just more dynamic uh, kind of energies, uh, because even when he was dying in Return of the Jedi, he still had these freezes and pauses and bursts of energy. Uh, you know, he, he wasn't just sort of this, this sort of thing that was moving all the time. So, so yeah, it, it, he, he was okay. I, I think he could have been a lot better with different choices. I mean, I there was a shot that I worked on that took, I don't know, seemed like forever. And it's just a four-second shot of Yoda's just head and shoulders, his head turning or something, really simple. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, man, if, if we could... If you could give me just a little motion capture mock-up of Yoda, I could have got this in in twenty minutes. You know, <laughs> uh, it's so ridiculous. Uh, so, yeah, I, I would have liked to have seen things done different. I think they should have had um, reference video reference uh, for for Yoda's movement. Um, that would have helped too. 
Um, maybe I was seeing things a lot of other people couldn't. Um, his design, he looked a bit, to me, he looked a little bit um, too sort of uh, wrinkly and uh, uh, the shapes weren't quite right. And, and um, he, he was so serious in a, a lot of that stuff too, facially, and sort of had this little monkey mouth and everything. So to me, I wasn't I wasn't that satisfied with the CG. I didn't like the, uh, the, the puppet in episode one either. Uh, but uh, so the CG was closer, but I thought this this could be so much better, you know. And then when he was flying around like a like a ping pong ball uh, with his lightsaber, um, it, it just seemed laughable to me, really. And I I just don't think Yoda would do that. I think he was smart enough to know, find other ways to to fight uh, rather than literally fight and and bounce around like that. Yeah, well, um, I, I, I sort of find a lot of the expanding of a of a classic character <coughs> is is always going to be controversial because yeah. we've had all these years to make up the rest ourselves, and yeah. our, our imagination really uh, coincides with what makes it on screen. So when you're saying that they could maybe pre-visit, would would like if you had you know your plan, would it be to do it via puppet, then CG that puppet as a reference. Um, if if I ruled the world, it would he would have been all everything that Yoda did in Episode Two could have been done a hundred percent with puppets, with different rigs, different puppet rigs, different entry points in the bodies, um, uh, with a, a a modern updated animatronic face, and. Um, Puppeteers working hands and rods for legs, Bunraku style, and that kind of thing, and doing. And if he had to do any fast action stuff, you can shoot things at different speeds. You can, there's all kinds of things you can do. Um, but actually, everything that he did in that movie could have been done as as a series of uh, puppets. Interesting. Now, I am fascinated to know from someone that, that worked on the puppet. What went wrong with the Phantom Menace Yoda puppet? Was it kind of by then a, a, a semi-lost art? or No, the art has, has always been there. That's the thing. But they just brought in, I guess, someone who who uh, wanted to... I don't... Obviously, I wasn't around then, but but um, they they sometimes, I guess, people feel they want to reinvent the wheel or, 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 or make their mark. I'm not really sure what... I mean, I'm making assumptions here, but uh, he was he was obviously a lot heavy. You could tell he was so heavy um, on Frank's hand. Um, the 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 original Yoda was you know was was built by Stuart Freeborn, who was he had he used essentially all the same principles as he did in in Chewbacca's mask. So there was this sort of lightweight um, hard foam sort of skull in there. Uh, expanded foam skull it was sort of hard and then the foam latex around it and the way frank held his hand inside the head was sort of more upright instead of the traditional flat muppet hand it was more upright because his middle finger was in the eyebrow in the center of the eyebrow so that sort of stuck his thumb out more but and then his other fingers braced inside the skull so it was it was a very different uh, hand position uh when when we, uh, the the way you could tell the way Frank held his hand inside the episode one Yoda was in the more the the flat sort of duck lip uh, you know Muppet hand position with the the fingers jutted a lot more 
further forward. So they would have probably taken a cast, I would assume, of Frank's hand in that position. And uh, they'd built all these eyebrow mechanisms in there too, which which seemed to affect his shape on his eyebrows as well. But it, 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 it pushed the, the mouth out a lot more. And I think it made the head a lot bigger and changed the shape of him. Uh, but there were a lot more mechanisms inside there, which added a lot of weight. Plus, I think he was made out of silicon instead of expanded foam uh, latex. And silicon is a lot heavier as well. So all those decisions uh, conspired against him really being a successful Yoda, in my opinion. So uh, if, say, we did get a uh, another Star Wars film with Yoda in it, there, there, is, right. there is hope that we could have a, a puppet Yoda that sort of lives up to the standards that were set in Empire and Jedi? Well, so far, everything that we've, all the, the paths we've gone down so far have, 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 have all the right decisions have been made by, by Neil Scanlon and, and his, his team. So, so, you know, there's, 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 as Leia would say that, yes, there is always hope. So. Love it. Love it, but yeah, you know, it's it's exciting. I I still would love to see a you know a, a Yoda movie. I mean, my goodness, wouldn't that be fantastic? I would buy at least fourteen tickets. I <laughs> right. <laughs> hey guys, Mike will be back with some more fascinating stories in just two seconds. But I just wanted to give another shout out to this episode's sponsor, Geek Fuel, and thank them for helping to continue the production of the Steel Wars podcast. Don't forget, you can go to geekfuel.com forward slash Steel Wars and not only will you be made available $50 at least of value for around $15 plus shipping and handling from brands like Marvel DC, Firefly, Star Trek, Harry Potter, South Park and Star Wars... But if you use that link, you'll also get a $10 value or more bonus item. So first time round, you're going to get at least $60 of value for around $15 plus shipping and handling. And it's going to be like Christmas, getting a box with five to seven mystery items from all your favorite franchises. Excitement, she wrote. The link is in the show notes of this episode on your phone or desktop right now. It's also on SteelWars.com. We really appreciate their support and uh, say thanks by just checking it out and seeing it's for you. So that is geekfuel.com forward slash SteelWars. Before we wrap up, let's talk The Force Awakens. Uh, I, I think so many fans were surprised and delighted that <coughs> Niam Num and <laughs> yourself were back. Now, Star Wars is, has got a good tradition of bringing back masked characters or the yeah. actors that portray them for roles. I think it's like a fun little like extra level of continuity yeah. that, that, that fans really, really appreciate. But yeah. um, it's my understanding that when you came back, your your role playing Neem Num had changed a little. Um, in that, in that um, I'm now inside a, yeah, an animatronic mask looking through his eyes, uh, if that's what you mean. Yeah. 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 So, so yeah, I had to have life cast taken and costume fittings and, and all that stuff. It was about three years ago or so, I think. All, all very exciting because I couldn't tell anybody. It was uh, one of the hardest secrets to keep ever. 
you know, and I didn't know what I was going to be doing with him either. So that was kind of exciting. But uh, yeah, I had to I had to uh, to uh, figure out how to how to rework him um, uh, in a, in a different in a different way essentially but it was good because now i i can bring legs to him i can walk around and i can i can uh uh consider him uh, an actor a character just like everyone else on set now and we would uh rehearse uh, without the head on so i'd be just up there with everyone else making eye contact and and going through all the moves and that kind of stuff and then when we come to 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 film then we, we just put the head on and the i have one face guy um with his controls and he's he stands close to the camera and uh, uh so he would watch what i'm doing during the rehearsals to make sure that uh so he knows what my intention is and where my eye lines are and what my beats are what my thoughts and emotions are so that he could then uh, try and reproduce that uh when we're filming so is it weird that your head's now where your hand used to be? No, it's not really because the the the, the thought process behind it's still the same. That's the thing. It's 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 uh, it's it's just it's just a nice bonus, I think, because now I can I can literally see the world through his eyes. Uh, um, the only the the thing that I don't get is I can't see a monitor. I can't see what the camera is seeing, and as as a puppeteer, uh, that's your your you know, you live and die by that. If you can't see a monitor, then mm. then forget it. So I have to give up that. I have to trust that, you know, the directors know what they're doing. You know, actors can't see monitors either for the most part. So that, you know, I just think, okay, I'm, I'm just, this is just a different thing. I just, so that's why I, I tone down my performance. I rein everything in and, and try to make it very real and because I can't see how close the camera is. Um, but I have to give that up and, 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 uh, go on faith and do what I, I find I'm, I feel it a lot more. It's a much more internal thing when I'm performing nine, I'm in the, in the costume, in the, in the, in the suit and in the mask than, than as a puppet. Uh, when you, when you're puppeteering, uh, you're sort of removed. You have an outside, but out of body experience because you're really just looking at the monitor as the audience is mm. and you're, you're making evaluations in real time. It's a, sort of a sur surreal, uh, once removed kind of, uh, event. But uh, inside inside Nine Numb, then it's much closer to just what an actor would do, where you're really internalizing everything. You're you're feeling it in your body, and in your 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 thoughts essentially. So so it's it's a lot closer to what all the other actors are doing. Um, except I have to make sure it's it's clean and reading through the mask what what my intention is. So you might sort of push things a little bit more, um, you know, to to make sure it transfers that it's that it's very clear. But uh, but yeah, so it is a different process. But it's it's I love it. It's a lovely thing to 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 really feel in my entire body what he's feeling uh, and thinking. Um, is 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 it's, it's, yeah. It's uh, it's acting basically. I love acting. <laughs> and, and now you get to put on the red overalls one leg at a time. One leg at a time. The boots and the gloves and the yeah, the, the battery pack and the <laughs> it's yeah. And of course we do all the you know the, we always do a bunch of photo shoots and and um, the the 3D scans uh, uh, for the for the toys, which they then mini they miniaturize me, you know, like in some weird sci-fi thing. And and <laughs> so the the fig the action figures are now a miniature version of me, which is also very surreal. It is a sweet irony that. <laughs> With technology, how I thought 
Neum Num was done in 1983 yeah. is now how it's done in yeah. uh, modern times. Exactly right. Exactly right. This is now how it's done. <laughs> yeah, they didn't quite have it together at that point yet in uh, eighty in the early eighties. It wasn't quite there, uh, the tech and stuff. So, um, yeah, it wasn't really possible. Now, um, you, you're saying how much sort of more the character you feel, you know, being you know in in the outfit. Is it? Yeah. Do you notice a difference? Like I went out to Greenham Common when I was in London and and, and checked out the oh okay the, where the Resistance base was filmed. Yeah. And, you know, it's quite surreal to be on essentially the location. You know, with yeah. a few of the trappings. Um, mm-hmm. do, do you do you notice? Is it more real as an actor when you're in a location like that compared to being on set, or does is there a catering truck in the way anyway? Yeah, it doesn't make any difference to me, really. Um, the, the, if you're outside, you might enjoy a little bit of sunlight and stuff like that or get rained on. But no, it doesn't make any difference. Once you're, once you're in there uh, acting in a scene, you're, you're, uh, you're still going through all the same things. You're sweating your butt off and working hard and you're, you're trying to believe. You know, it has to be real to you that you know what's happening in the scene. That's the thing. So, so like, for example, our, uh, when I did the X-Wing stuff, uh, uh, my scenes were were filmed uh, actually outside the, on the back lot, um, oh, yeah. so we were using real sunlight in the, in the simulator. It's the same simulator they use for the Falcon cockpit. Um, so it, it it just doesn't matter. matter. I mean, yeah, because you can be looking at a, a green screen or a black a black velvet, or you could be in a set, whether it's an interior or an exterior real location or partial location and, and CG extensions. To me, it doesn't make any difference, really, uh, actually. It's just you might have uh, further to drive to get to the location or, or uh, you know, long, longer walk from your, your, where you get changed into costume to actually uh, to, to the, 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 you know, the, the, the filming location or whatever. It doesn't really – it's the same. It, what it's, it's, it's fun, though, um, when, when they have the larger scenes, though, like at Greenham Common where they had, I don't know, was it 300 extras or something – and uh, plus all the all the cast, the main cast were there too, and it's really funny because uh, you sort of get these looks from from the extras and other people, and they're like, "Hey, that's that. I remember that guy from Jedi." You know, which of course originally that never happened. He was a new character, but now he has this recognition as as uh, as being being a, a you know a classic character, uh, and people are freaking out about that, which is quite nice. And then then when I say, well. That I was that was me then as well. They all they really freak out. Oh, I can't believe that. That was you. You did that as well on the original movie. So that, that's kind of fun uh, seeing seeing their reactions uh, because they know that you know they're coming in as uh, into you know a huge Star Wars film, a reboot basically of, of this massive franchise. So so the, the, it's funny. Everyone working on it, and crew as well, not just extras, but a lot of the crew that they're, they're sort of the same way. Uh, they realize they're that. You know, we're making a piece of history essentially, and they're stepping into this this piece of history that's that's again uh, part of their past and part of of the future as well. So everyone, uh, certain, certainly, nobody takes for granted the gravity of of doing something of this scale like this. Well, I'm glad Neam Num's getting the respect he deserves, <laughs> that, Mike. That that is. Thank you. And I have to say. <laughs> Once there's a Hasbro figure, uh, maybe for the last Jedi, and, and Neam Num has got a, a, a sweaty tuckus, we know that the likenesses have gone too far. There's, it's, they've just gotten yes. too real. 
Exactly. Yes, the, the the paint job might need to be toned down a little bit. <laughs> that scan is just, it's too scanny. <laughs> yeah, too scanny. Yes, that's not a word I've heard yet, but it, they should use that. Too scanny. Too De scan it a little bit. We're, we're the words here. <laughs> now, Mike, thank you so much uh, for your generosity with your time and oh, thank uh, you and, and your great stories. <laughs> One thing we always like to know from all our guests, we have, as we discussed, we've pretty much got eternal Star Wars films. What yeah. would you like to see or what are you most looking forward to coming up in the Star Wars universe? I, I'm looking forward to, to the producers discovering that Nine Num actually lives to be at least 150 years old uh, <laughs> so that he can make more movies. And uh, that he is capable of some very dramatic acting scenes with lots of dialogue. <laughs> and that uh, the, the one scene that I would just, I, if this could happen, I could die happy. I just want to see Chewie and Nainam leaned up against a wall somewhere, shooting the breeze, uh, telling each other stories and cracking each other up in their own languages. You know, just like just that one little shot right there, I think would be the funniest thing ever. Just two Falcon co-pilots swapping yeah. stories. Yeah, and no one can understand what the hell they're saying except each other, <laughs> and they're laughing, <laughs> telling a joke. It'll be brilliant. It'll be classic. So, <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of – I like not knowing what's coming up, actually. I like not knowing anything other than my own scenes. Uh, I, I like seeing – I like being surprised. Uh, when I saw The Force Awakens, I only knew a small part of the film. Uh, and so, so seeing it uh, was was breathtaking. It was it was such a thrill because I didn't really know the entire. Uh, I mean, I kind of knew, knew the arc of the story, but there were so many scenes I I didn't know about or didn't know that how they were going to do stuff and the order in which things took place as well. So, so I was seeing the film for the first time like everybody else was, uh, and it'll be the same with the next one. And I like that. So I don't know what they're going to do. Um, but I, I'm going to trust it and have faith and just let them make what they feel they need to make. Uh, if they want to ask me for any advice, I'm, I'm sure I'll give it. <laughs> but I'll be all over, uh, you know, whatever whatever spin-off films they want to make. Uh, absolutely. I mean, Rogue One was was a great, uh, I want to say, departure, yet yet it wasn't. You know, it was it was a lovely uh, a different spin on on, uh, on what we've seen so far, a very... Very clever, brave, successful uh, story. I would imagine there would be some Mike Quinn puppeteering fans <laughs> that have tuned in today. And I would also expect that your, your stories of puppeteering might inspire a few people that are listening. Uh, what would be you know, your advice in this day and age to get involved in, in puppeteering? Um, let's see. Uh, I would say you're crazy and don't do it um, and run the other way. Uh, actually, I wouldn't say that at all. Uh, I'd, I'd say run towards it because this is a great time now to, um, to, to enjoy puppets and, and animatronics and all different kinds of puppetry, um, uh, especially with the, the technology we, have all, we all have available to us now. And the training that's available online. I mean, uh, you can learn to be a cinematographer online now. You can you can learn to be a photographer. You can you can learn to to be a designer, musician. Uh, all the tools are out there. It's 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 
this stuff was never available when I was starting out. Uh, I had no way to learn how there were there were no schools for 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 this kind of muppet and hand puppetry when I when I started out, and I, I desperately wished that there there were. I sort of had to try and train myself, and the rest I just had to learn on the job and make mistakes on film. And a lot of my mistakes are in those first few movies. I, I cringe every time I see those, but um, but uh, uh, in the past I've I've uh, taught uh, that style of puppetry uh, in uh, in a live situation in London and in in Ireland as well uh, to, to bunches of puppeteers and those classes were, were based upon what I'd learned uh, on set myself but also what had been taught to me in workshops uh, from Jim Henson, Frank Oz, Dave Goals and all the main uh, Muppet performers uh, their techniques and, and things that, that they would teach us specifically and, and, and uh, uh, exercises and all kinds of things, insights so uh, so what I decided to do was bring that to an online uh, training academy um, specifically for film and TV and media hand puppetry uh, and that kind of Muppet performance and that style, those characters, uh, in a very comprehensive way, sort of breaking it down from, from uh, uh, sort of day one, stripping everything down to its basics and going as advanced into it and as deep into it as people want to go. So... So it could be for um, just people that want to do it for fun, you know, hobbyists, uh, teachers, um, uh, semi-professionals, part-time puppeteers, uh, live puppeteers, um, schools, uh, and right up to, to people that want to make a living, actually make money doing this uh, as a profession. So I'm sort of creating a multi-level uh, online training academy for that. And it's called Secrets of Puppetry. And people can get on a notification list if they go to secretsofpuppetry.com and you just sign up. And when, when things are ready later this summer, then, then they'll just get a notification. There'll be some free stuff so, so, and some cheap stuff because uh, not everyone has, has, uh, can afford these things. So I want, I want everyone to get, to get a, a, a piece of the action if they want. And to to, uh, to to remove that barrier, basically, uh, between uh, people that, that uh, wish they could be puppeteers or enjoy some of that and, and, and ones that actually want to make it a reality uh, and, and do this uh, for, for, for real and, and not, not think, I don't want people to think, I can't do this, or you have to have talent, or you have to, to be here, you have to be there, you have to have this, you have to have that, uh, you have to be young enough, you have to be old enough. No, it's all nonsense. So I'm going to strip all that back and and uh, and hopefully democratize uh, puppetry a little bit and and hopefully encourage uh, new blood essentially, which is what we need and pass the torch a little bit too. So I'm looking forward to that. That is awesome. And and you know, with all these Star Wars films coming out and with a new appreciation on the the practical creatures, it seems like yeah. uh, a bit of a, a renaissance. Or that style of work. Finally, yeah, it's it's definitely. I always knew it was going to happen, but we're seeing it on commercials, on TV, and, and in live theater, and in in uh, films and on television. There's there's puppets are, are, are back, uh, pretty pretty big time now, and and different styles of puppets too, not just the Muppet kind. So so uh, we've seen the pendulum swing back now. I was waiting for it to happen, and it, I saw it start to happen several years back, um, but it's well and truly here now. And I know that, that people love it. The fans love it. The audience wants to see real stuff. 
uh, more than than something that's not real. Uh, and there's there's so many styles uh, now, and there's so many outlets where people could cr- literally create their own shows and make money from it. People could earn a, if they if they focus, they could actually earn a living doing puppetry, uh, even if they've never done it before. Within 12 months, I think if someone was dedicated, they could. They could figure out how to do this stuff, get a, show, a simple sharp running, and make some money from it. So that's that's where how far we've come. It's it's great. It's a wonderful thing, and it can be for all ages. People might want to do some something for preschool or for families, or they might want to do something just for for adults only, for over 18s, let's say, or something like that, or over 21 show or whatever. They could do that. Uh, you know, it doesn't puppets don't have to be kitty kitty things either. But but uh, the, the outlets are there now on. Uh, iTunes and other places as ways of monetizing this too. So I'm really excited about sort of you know once once people have learned how to how to how to bring a character life to life, what do they do next? Where do they take that information? How can they actually put it into practice? That's that to me is really exciting. That's awesome, man. That's very exciting. And uh, yeah, it is you know for for all this stuff, it's there is so much ways to get you know, your work out there now that yeah. the, the, the gatekeepers have been uh, flicked out of the way in, in a lot yeah. of cases. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're not we're not all tra- trying to chase primetime TV anymore. I'm certainly not. You're just, <laughs> tra- you're just chasing X-Wings. Well, yes, in B-Wings and, and yes, all that good stuff, definitely. Well, the, the, the galaxy's the limit. That's the thing now. So that is uh, secretsofpuppetry.com? That's it. Nice and simple. If you know how to spell it, you'll be all right. Nice. And <laughs> for people that want to follow your adventures on social media, would the Facebook page be the best spot for that? It probably is right now. Um, yeah, I, I've abandoned my website years ago, so it, it's now redundant. So forget about that. Yeah, just just, just go to Mike Quinn and you'll. If, if there's lots of rippling muscles, then it's probably not me. It might be the <laughs> other guy. Well, it could be. Good to know. Good to know. Yeah, yeah. Again, Mike, thanks so much for your time and thanks for your contribution to uh, the Star Wars universe. Oh, of course. Thank you. Thank you so much, Steele. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. And and, uh, uh, you take care and and, uh, maybe I can come back sometime with some more stories. I would absolutely adore that. Sweet. And may that force be with you. Oh, may that force be with you too. Thank you. Awesome. Hey, guys. I hope you enjoyed that super fun episode with Mike Quinn, a true Star Wars legend. And as Mike sizzled, we're going to get him back. We're going to get him back. Maybe just after The Last Jedi, we can get Mike back on to get all the tales from that set once the cats are out of those bags. Don't keep cats in bags guys that's a a metaphor and not to be taken literally at all so can't wait to have mike back on the show we didn't even get to talk about jabba's palace for all the work he did there as well so so much more to talk about with mike but i think that was a great place to start if you agreed if you enjoyed the episode you can help spread the word by just dropping a retweet uh sharing the link on facebook or twitter or instagram and jumping on the itunes and writing us a sweet five-star review it vouches for us bumps us up the rankings and makes me feel warm inside and sometimes it can be cold out there as a podcaster so very cold. 
Of course, this episode is brought to you by Geek Fuel. You can check out all the bonus offers at geekfuel.com forward slash Steel Wars. Thanks, those guys, for helping us out this week. And if you want to chat Star Wars on Facebook with what I think is the friendliest and most level-headed group of Star Wars fans gathered together on the internet. Join us at the Steel Wars Listener Star Wars Safe Haven on Facebook. There is a link for it on the front page of SteelWars.com. You just got to answer a couple of questions so we know you're not a spam bot or just a random person because we want people to get the gist, the vibe of how we talk about Star Wars on the podcast before they join us. Because there is thousands of Star Wars groups. But uh, this is our little safe place to where we talk about Star Wars in a, a free and easy manner. So shout out to everyone kicking it in the safe haven. Of course, you can support us and get bonus content at patreon.com forward slash steel wars. You can buy merch like the Your Snoke Theory Sucks, the Yub Nub Tees, or the I'm With Snoke T-shirt at steelwars.com. Stickers are available as well. You can get a wide gamut of pop culture podcasts, including the Weekly Planet at planetbroadcasting.com. And for more Star Wars podcasts, head on over to makingstarwars.net and click on that sweet podcast network. I'm on the latest episode of makingstarwars.net. Now this is podcasting. I'm also on the latest episode of Star Wars Geek Girl, which was super fun. Talking Star Wars with Zoe and Lizzie, two really cool Sabine cosplayers. And if you are on YouTube, of course, check out all the clips I'm putting up at uh, youtube.com forward slash Steel Wars. But I'm on the third episode of Black Series Rebels, ranting and raving about Star Wars. So you can check it out if you search Black Series Rebels on YouTube. It's a really fun show, a very similar tone to this one so you guys will probably enjoy that unless you just hated the last 90 minutes of your life when I, I don't know just just delete this episode don't follow any of the links I don't know what to tell you don't listen again if, if you didn't enjoy it but if you did get behind us we need you and we appreciate you the call-in show where you can join us via phone or Skype to talk Star Wars will be Friday night if you are in America, Saturday during the day if you are in Australia, very late on Friday night if you're in the UK. All the times for that can be found at SteelWars.com, different times for different time zones, so I won't go through them all there. Thank you guys so much, really appreciate your support, thank you to Geek Fuel, thank you to Mike Quinn and May, that force.
This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. I mean, if you want. It's up to you. Also, for more Star Wars podcasting, check out the Making Star Wars Podcast Network at makingstarwars.net. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.